You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end of life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Ebema. And today, my guest is Anthony Balistreri, is a chaplain at the Racine County Jail. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you so very, very much. It's a pleasure meeting you. And it's a pleasure being here this morning with you. Where did you grow up? I'm actually born and raised in Milwaukee. And uh, I've been here all my life. I grew up in the uh, western suburbs in Brookfield. I went to Marquette High School, went to Marquette College. And uh, I was kind of raised in that Jesuit way uh, from, when I was, uh, from when I was little. So I, I, I'm here. I'm homegrown. <laughs> it feels like faith has been prominent in your life from childhood. Uh, Saul, I'm telling you, faith has been prominent and running away from it has been more prominent. You know, it's one of the people that have faith in the Lord. You got to look at the other the flip side of it, which is, you know, I have. I could become an Olympic runner from faith and grace and God and everybody else, but uh, you can't outrun something that's in front of you. I think there's a story in there. What was the running and what caused the running? Well, I, I was raised, I was raised Italian Catholic. Being raised Italian Catholic, there was, you were born into what you needed to do with within Catholicism. And uh, so I went to, you know, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college. And, you know, I punched into the clock, nothing wrong with Catholicism, but, you know, in my household, you know, it was, you were expected. It was an expectation. And once I graduated college, the expectation seemed to weigh a little bit, it went down. And the minute I had the opportunity to, for it to go down, I would, you know, I was out like a clock. I was like, okay, I've had enough of this, you know, mass every day from when I was in kindergarten to, you know, a, a graduate in college. And so I, I pretty much had it down pat somewhere around sixth or seventh grade. I could have gone up there and been the priest, you know, and I could have done the whole service myself. And I used to, I used to be in the pew and I used to speak out what he was going to say next. I had the thing totally memorized. It was, it was kind of fun. So by the time, but I had no word in me. I had no scripture in me. I mean, back in that day, they, you know, they kept those Bibles to themselves. You know, it was the priest that knew what was in the Bible, not, not, not the pews. So I, I was kind of lost in that. And I ran and, and I was just like, okay, I've had enough of this. I must have enough jesus in me to last me the rest of my life i've been doing this a long enough time and that's probably uh with the time when i ran so somewhere about 22 23 years old you know hit i hit the world or i should say the world hit me and uh not realizing how much i really still needed god always but uh i went away from him until i was about 30 35 and uh then it just came all crashing back into me. And there's a scripture that says, raise up a child the way it should go and he will return to it. And I returned to it. Was there a life event that caused the returning? Of course. 
Absolutely. I was working for Mercedes-Benz in North America. And I was working for their Freightliner division in engineering. So I was working with engineers to design Mercedes-Benz owns the big Freightliner trucks. And so I was working with them when the Freightliner division, I was going to Stuttgart, Germany twice a month. I was going to Seattle, Washington, and I was working in growing the brand. And so I was all over the place. I mean, I was living life large, uh, you know, had the Mercedes, had everything because I was an employee. I was married and I wasn't home very much. I wasn't home very much. And I wasn't the person I'm even close to today. I was living in the world. I was going from place to place, country to country. And I can't, I don't really believe that my life or my lifestyle was serving anything but myself personally. And um, so my wife and I started drifting in other directions. She was a, an executive for Midwest Express Airlines. So she was pretty high up there. She had her own career. So she was flying off in one direction. I was flying off in the other direction. And the, the truth of the matter is we grew apart. We totally grew apart. We, we got into a fight one day, but I went in the backyard and I started cutting my lawn. Not a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm a traveling man. I had a lawn service. I had a gardener. I had all these people and I grabbed the lawnmower, started it up and started mowing my lawn. At that point, she's looking out the window going, what got into him? What's wrong with him? And I'm mowing my lawn and mowing my lawn and mowing my lawn. And, you know, they talk about those little movies, you know, the old cartoon of the devil over here and, and God over here and an angel and the devil. And, and that was me mowing my lawn. And I was hearing an audible voice, that still small voice inside of me. And he was showing me what my life was. He was showing me the corruptness of my life and where I was running around and how I wasn't, you know, anything that I was raised and taught. I let my gardener go. I let the person doing my lawn go and I took over my lawn. I bought every piece of lawn equipment you could buy. I put 1,600 pounds of new seed on a lawn that was already in. My yard looked like this, the fifth hole of Augusta golf course. It was beautiful. People used to come by to show people my lawn, and I never said anything for two and a half seasons that while I was mowing my lawn, God was talking to me, or I believed God was talking to me. I... Um, pretty much told my wife, I said, well, you know what's going on in that lawn? She goes, no, but why don't you tell me? And I said, I believe that God's talking to me while I'm doing my lawn. And she looked at me and she turned around and walked out of the room. And she came back with a spiral notebook and a pen. And she said, if God's talking to you, maybe it's important for you to write it down. I said, I got to be in Connecticut on Tuesday and I took off and I went on this trip, went out to uh, Hartford, Connecticut. I was out there for 10 days. I'm, I'm flying back and I'm on the phone with her. She never mentioned a word of it on the phone the whole 10 days. And she goes, there's some people coming over to our house. And uh, I said, that's great. I got some people coming over to us. When are they coming? And she goes, well, they're starting to come on Thursday. And I said, my people are coming on Thursday. 
She goes, they're coming into town for some, some Christian conference. And I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. My people are coming in for a Christian conference. And so by the time I got home, we had 11 people staying at our house, which isn't really unusual because we have, it's, it's kind of that kind of a house. And uh, we had some barbecue and on, uh, on Thursday night, and there was people there and people are in the backyard and they're going, who does the lawn? Who, where, did this, where did this lawn come from? And, and she goes, well, Anthony does the lawn. And these people are going, no way. That's no way he does this lawn. And she goes, yeah, I started doing it a couple of years ago and you won't let anybody touch it. And um, so my wife, this is the first time I've heard my wife say this. She goes, she, he goes, why is he doing the lawn? He's traveling all the time. And she goes, well, she, you know, God talks to him while he does the lawn. And they were like, well, come with us, come with us, come with us to the conference, come with us to the conference. It, the conference was at Mecca at the time, downtown Milwaukee. And uh, we arrived at, I said, fine, I'll go, I'll just check it out. The first part of the speakers, never had any experience like that before because I'm coming out of Catholicism. And um, went to the first day, went to lunch, went to the second day. And the third day, they would, this session would go from eight o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. Long time. And there was a speaker. Yeah, long time. I'm a Catholic boy. I don't go past a half an hour. And I'm sticking in there, you know, and round for round. Now, you got to remember, all the people that are with me are staying at my house, been making fun of me of three days looking at my grass. <laughs> the man goes to the pulpit and he goes, who's the man in here that God's been talking to for the last two years while he does his lawn? 7,800 people in the Mecca. This row of people that is with me goes silent. And from 60 rows back, the man at the pulpit goes, there you are. He called out everything I had on. He says, come on up here. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do things. I just want to confirm that it's God that's been in the last two and a half years in your life. You want to believe it. you got a calling on your life. And uh, it's from God direct. And I took the first step forward to the front of that pulpit on Mecca, and uh, I haven't turned back since. That's quite an interesting story and call to ministry. I, didn't even, I couldn't spell ministry. <laughs> <laughs> At what stage did you become a pastor? God just sent us out on an evangelistic ministry at first. Uh, people would just come up to us and they sent us all over the world. It was just amazing. And then we came back uh, six years later from our, our travels. And uh, God said, it's time for you to open up a church. It's time for you to get enrooted and uh, get ordained and, and start a church. From that point was the birthing of my pastoral walk. With that, we'll take a little break. Again, our guest is Anthony Balistreri. He's a chaplain at the Racine County Jail. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. 
check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Berman. We continue our conversation with Chaplain Anthony Balistrieri. Um, we'll, let us talk about uh, the first part. I enjoyed your call to ministry, you know, coming from where you come from and seeing God, um, encounter God in such a deep way and respond to it. And now you're working as a, a chaplain at the uh, Racine County Jail. But for the sake of this conversation, what is a jail chaplain? My chaplaincy has expanded due to the sheriff way beyond the jail. The jail is probably 30% of what I do. And uh, then I have a staff that covers, and but we'll go out to the county, we'll go out on calls. We'll go out on calls with investigators. It makes it easier for the investigators to figure out what happened when all the people are at a lower level, they're calm. So what do you think, as I look back in your life story, um, what is it in your life that has prepared you for this kind of ministry? I think it was all my mom's prayers. <laughs> um, you know, I was, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I, obviously I, I had a formal education from a Jesuit school. So there's, I'm sure there are things that, that um, I feel, even if I paid attention or I didn't pay attention to all that, I feel like I was a tea bag in that hot water. You know, I was seeping. I was just getting seeped in there and it was coming into me, no matter if I didn't want it or not. It was just coming into me. Yeah. And then when I had the opportunity, like I said, to, to walk away and kind of stretch my, my, my uh, spiritual or my fleshly arms a little bit, um, I really look back and see how many relationships I had with uh, Jesuit priests, with with the people that were the godly people at the time that were into my life they gave in to me yeah so some people model this kind of ministry to absolutely. you absolutely absolutely yeah. everything i did wrong as well as everything i did right was preparing me for who i am today that's beautiful i know earlier you spoke about uh presence you know, but what qualities must a chaplain have to work in this uh, jail system like you are? I had to establish um, an unconditional love. Period. An unconditional love is the greatest quality I think a chaplain has uh, because you don't know who you're going to run into. You know, I, I could be running into a, a heroin addict this afternoon that has OD'd 15 times in the last three weeks. Uh, a crack addict, I, what, whoever that person is, uh, a pedophile, you know, it, it doesn't make a difference who I'm running into. I cannot judge. So I want to talk about a characteristic of a chaplain is the inability to judge that person, but to love them unconditionally through the situation that they're in. Yeah, I know you said something really important there that the jail system can be punitive, but it could mm. also be for other people an invitation to real life. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. The chaplaincy program has uh, is programming. We run, we help with the programming. So I have right now, I think I have 16 programs, AODA programs for drug and alcohol. I have de-ganging programs. I have mothering programs, fathering programs. I have, I have programs that reach 
the, the, the people that are in here. You know, my fathering program is just amazing because there's so many gang members and there's so many people that were not raised in a two-parent home. Um, I'm writing right now, it's really interesting, I'm writing a program for incarcerated people that were in foster care. 72% of foster care children end up incarcerated. That's a and big percentage. It's, it's, it's crazy. And one of the things about addicts, which is about 42% of my jail, is that they pretty much ran through all the family members. You know, they took everything off the dining room table. They took everything off the cupboards. They went into the jewelry boxes. And they have just, to, to force their habit, they have just put every family member mostly on their heels. And so they're looking for almost a repentance. Uh, they're, they're looking for someone to accept them. They're looking for some sort of restitution within a system that there's nobody there for them anymore. So what I hear you saying is that even if these people have done a lot of uh, bad things that have ended them behind bars, and even if they've exhausted the supportive system around them, you and your staff become a fountain of unconditional love to offer them as a way of bringing them back into life. With that, we'll take a little break again. My guest is Chaplain Anthony Balistreri from the Racine County Jail. We'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Bem, and we continue our conversation with Anthony Balistreri. Uh, talk to us about end-of-life care in the jail system. Uh, I know, um, unlike prison where people stay way, way longer, what does it look like uh, in the jail system at Racine County Jail for you? We talk about death and dying. We talk about grief counseling. We talk about those things in this environment. First of all, this environment is the worst place you ever want to get the news about someone in your family that has passed. The news that someone passed, no matter where you are, is terrible. But here, there's nowhere to turn. There's no place to go out for a walk. We give the news. We have to check out the news and uh, or the reports of it, and we follow it through. One of the things I adopted in my chaplaincy was, and I teach my chaplains to do this, is offer to help with the services of the person who passed. Mm. Especially when you're ministering there, I think there's a lot of uh, a sense of intimacy, right, between the chaplain oh. and the inmate. There, there could Absolutely. be moments where they confess something to you. Uh, even if they've been through so much and now they're caught and they're behind bars, maybe there are some things they did that they got away with and they confess it to you. Are you allowed yeah. to report that? That happens more often than you can speak, but chaplains are covered under a state statute in Wisconsin that anything that is told to us 
All right. You couldn't bring me. You couldn't bring me. You couldn't subpoena me to tell me. I don't have, I have the right to keep it private okay. unless they tell me that uh, it has to do with something with a, a harm of a child or the potential of there, there's a plan to, to, to kill someone. I respect that. What are your final thoughts? When you're in Racine County Jail, we are the here for security, safety, and documentation. We want to make sure everybody coming in this door is fairly treated, is their beliefs are withstanding, and they leave here in a better condition than they arrived. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. It was a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure. That was Chaplain Anthony Balistrieri, and thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.